Good morning, everyone. It's good to have you here with us today. Let me introduce myself. My name is Wayne. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm looking forward to spending some time with you reading from the book of John today. So if you could take a Bible, please, and turn to John chapter 3. It's uh, all towards the beginning of the New Testament. If you are unfamiliar with Scripture, I'll tell you there's a Bible in the pew rack in front of you, and the page numbers are on the screen behind me. As a matter of fact, if you don't own a Bible, take that one home, okay? Seriously, take it home as our gift to you. We'd be glad if you would do that, please. Um, I want to start this way today. Let me ask you this. How many of you here, um, or is there, I need one person who's had a birthday in the last few days. Maybe today's your birthday or you're about to have a birthday. Anyone? Come on up, Joanne. We're going to have a birthday party for you right now. How's that? You didn't know you were going to come to church and have a birthday party today. But uh, when's your birthday? The second. So you've just had it. You've had it. Okay, come on. Come on up here. I'm going to ask you to take a seat right here, Joanne. And, um, and we're going to start by singing. Now, you're not allowed to look behind you, okay? Because we're, we're not doing anything crazy or anything like that. But you're going to have... There's a little cake. Just a wee little cake for you. All right. You can start. You can start. But we're going to sing happy birthday first. Okay. You can come over here and don't look behind you because they've got a present for you, but they're wrapping it for you right now. Uh, let's try this key. Can we sing happy birthday? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to We have two birthdays. The day before Christmas. All right. All right, take a seat. Take a seat. We're going to have two birthdays. Liz, come on. You saw that cake and you thought she's not eating that by herself, didn't you? Come on up here. Come around here. We'll come around here. All right. We're going to need another f- Take a seat. Can you get up there? We got a knife. We got another fork. That's going to go down the pastoral record of a moment of great compassion. <laughs> yes, you have to eat in front of everybody. That's right. Okay. I can do that. Don't you wish it was your birthday? All right. So just. Liz, now we're going to make certain, you can't look over there, okay? I'm going to stand here so you can't see what's going on behind me, okay? So, (sighs) I tell you. So here's what we're doing. We're starting a sermon series today for Christmas. On birthday cakes? On birthday cakes, yes. About giving and receiving. What does it mean to give and to receive? So keep keep going at it there. That's a lot of icing, isn't it? It is. You don't have to eat it all. All right, because... <laughs> good. <laughs> we need another... Have you got a napkin? We need another napkin, Mr. Napkin Guy, okay? You know, 
this icing, my daughter is a personal trainer, and she would croak if she would see me eating. All right. All right. Okay, how's it going with, don't look back there, how's it going with the wrapping? Oh, that's cool. <laughs> okay, if you've had enough, you can stop, okay? I, we're, we're fine. What we're doing, we're taking a, doing a sermon series on what does it mean to give, and what does it mean to receive? Because I need to tell you this, Christianity is about both. Sometimes people say, well, Christianity is all about giving. But it's more than that. It's about both giving and it's about receiving. And I want to be certain that as we look at Scripture today in John chapter 3, I still can't believe that, (laughs) that we look at what does it mean to receive and what does it mean to give both. And um, so in order to help set the stage over that the last couple of weeks, or the, the coming weeks, if you go out in the lobby today, you'll see that we've got some decorations that kind of push this in that direction. If you go all the way in the, in the atrium, you'll see there is a very tall tree there that's got all kinds of words around it that re- reflect the gifts of the Spirit that God has given us, all right? Then if you come a little bit closer, you'll see a tree that's like outside the cafe that is full of different gifts and talents that are represented on there. And then over in the cafe, you've got... I'm scared of what's behind me. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay, we're going to let me just finish this little bit. I think maybe I should leave now. No, you shouldn't leave now. No, no. <laughs> it's going to be sweet, ladies. I promise you. It's not a, it's not a bad deal. And then um, in, in the cafe, there's uh, decorations that reflect the gifts of family and home. And in the center of the lobby, you may have saw, seen that there was a, a manger there that doesn't have the baby Jesus in it reflected yet because obviously we're still waiting for um, the day before Christmas and the day into Christmas with your birthday and everything. And uh, what we are going to do as a congregation in the coming, coming weeks is we are going to create the hay that's going to go there and we're going to create spaces in our heart and it's going to rep- represent it in that manger, the hay. And then, then as we bring it in here on Christmas Eve as the, we represent the baby Jesus in there, we will, be play, we will have created the place where the baby Jesus will be resting in our lives and in the life of this church. So it's going to be a project in the coming weeks. And so we want to start off with this a little bit of what does it mean to give and receive. And so with that, here comes your neatly wrapped packages. <laughs> oh, it looks like DJ must have wrapped them. Yeah. This, this. <laughs> Go for it. You can open them now. It's not hay, no, no, no. Oh, look at that. I wish I was getting that. Oh, looky here. See, these are... Oh, looky there. See, cake and a present. Show everybody what you got. Look at... It's a throw. A throw. There you go. Can you thank him all for helping us start the, the event today? Thanks, ladies. Thank you. <laughs> you can leave it all there. Yeah. All right. You okay? Yep. Let me help you. Get, let me help you get your stuff. Take this with you. This is yours. No, she's leaving the paper behind. She's got her scarf. She's, she's not. Scarf. She's, <laughs> she's a woman on a mission now. Yes. <laughs> so, 
Um, oh, he is going to hear about this for the next week. <laughs> so in all of that, what, what I'm really just, I want you to ex- experience with me the joy of giving something to someone and their joy in receiving it. Because what we're about to read in John 3 is all about giving and receiving. Read with me in John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of... (laughs) That picture in my mind. Okay. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi... We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everybody born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. Well, you're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you don't understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe me. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that they may be seen plainly that what they have have done has been done in the sight of God. I want you to notice in the very center of this passage, verse 16, it says that God gave his one and only son. And that passage of scripture there, John 3, 16, you probably see it in all kinds of public settings where people acknowledge, you know, you see Tim Tebow wear it on his, you know, kind of like as to block out the sun and the shadow when when he used to play football. Um, You've seen people hold that sign up in stadiums, you know. There used to be a guy, uh, a fellow by the name of Stuart, Roland Stewart, who uh, used to go around the country. He can't do it anymore, I'll tell you why. He used to go around the country and take signs and he buy seats in stadiums where he knew he would be on camera. And the broadcasters hated him. There was, you know, lots of discussion about how they would try and get shots of of the crowd without him in it. And he would sit behind home plate in a baseball game and hold up the John 316 sign. And you know, every time a pitcher's coming in, they, they, they'd see the sign and the broadcasters didn't like it. And to some extent, I kind, of, I kind of understand it, mostly because it was ruining their shot, if you will, 
Or he would hold John 3.16 up in the end zone of a football game, and every time there was a, you know, a, a punt or a, um, a, a field goal attempt, there was this John 3.16. And uh, here's my honest opinion of that. I don't know that it really helped us that he did that. Because it became that John 3.16 was a sign that crazy idiots held up at ball games. And I don't know that that's really helpful to our cause. He used to go around wearing the country wearing that Afro wig and holding up that sign. And after a while, when he wasn't getting enough attention, he kind of went off his rocker, to be honest. He went started going to public places, and instead of holding up signs, he let off stink bombs. Which, on the one hand, if you're a junior high kid, can be funny. But when you're a man, and you're letting them off in places like the Crystal Cathedral or at Trinity Broadcasting Network, or in Christian bookstores, it's no longer funny. Particularly when he's asked, why are you doing this? He says, because God has told me that these places where I'm letting them off, where the smell is coming, I think, I believe that God says, these places stink. That wasn't helpful. Then when that began to no longer be effective, at one point he became, came, he became convinced that the rapture was going to occur in six days and people weren't paying attention. The only way he could get attention to that fact was if he did something violent. And so he went and kidnapped three people in a motel room, held them hostage. He's serving three life sentences today. His actions have not really helped the cause of John 3.16, have they? Because I'd have to say this, John 3.16, the fact that God gave his one and only son, that statement is worth far more than just a sign at a stadium. I get it, but it's worth far more than that. Let me see if I can explain that to you by reminding you of what's happening in this passage. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, we're told, at the very beginning of the chapter. We don't know a lot about Nicodemus. He appears three times in the New Testament. We read here that he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. There's some debate amongst biblical scholars exactly as to what that means, the Jewish ruling council of that time was a group of either 70 or 71 men usually in Jerusalem that were the political, uh, religious, and economic leaders of the nation. They were in some ways what we would call, um, I guess you could say, the Supreme Court of all the courts. There were little Sanhedrins around the country that would have about 20 to 23 men, always men, in those settings. And then they would answer to when situations got very difficult, they would take it to the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. Usually 70 men, though, if it was a really difficult case, the chief high priest would be brought in and there'd be 71 men ruling on various matters. <clears throat> Excuse me, in the Gospel of Mark, as Jesus is on trial, before he is handed over to the Romans, he is before the Sanhedrin and he's pleading his case, or in fact, Nicodemus is pleading his case. And it is um, the Sanhedrin that sends Jesus off to the Romans to be executed. We don't know exactly if Nicodemus was part of that group, if he was actually in the Sanhedrin, but we certainly know that he was in their circle, that he had the ability to speak into their lives and into the matters that were before the Sanhedrin. And so a man of great power, a man with, a, if you will, a loud voice, he would have significant education behind him. And we see this. He came to Jesus, verse 2, at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God. He comes to Jesus at nighttime, and sadly, I think pastors and preachers in the past have 
assume that since he's coming to Jesus at nighttime, then he must be hiding something. And I, in my opinion, they've done some poor, poor biblical exegesis when they preached whole sermons around the idea where you can't hide when you come to Jesus. Because the text doesn't say that. It doesn't say that he came to Jesus because he was hiding and he didn't want people to know him, that he was, didn't want people who knew him to know that he was going to see Jesus. That might be the case, but you can't build a sermon around that. It might simply be the case that he was busy all day long and the only time he could get his calendar free when Jesus was close by was in the evening. That makes sense. Because to be honest, later on throughout the rest of his life, he was certainly willing to be associated with Jesus and he was one of two men, he and another fellow, who actually took Jesus' body down from the cross and buried it. So he's, as a result of this meeting with Jesus here in John 3 and with perhaps other ones, you could certainly count him in the disciples of Jesus Christ. So for him to, for us to in any way intimate that he was hiding seems to be, might be a possibility, but it's not something that we can say for sure. What I do really appreciate about this passage is the way John gives it to us is this. We have this man of education, this man probably of wealth, this man of influence showing up and asking questions. And the fact that Jesus answers those questions is extremely encouraging to me. Because that validates us when we have questions before God. Sometimes we're told, I think naively, to say, well, if you're a person of faith, you shouldn't have any questions. And I would say this, that doesn't make any sense at all to me because the deeper my faith becomes, the more questions I seem to have. And Jesus validates a questioning approach. And so, friends, if you're here today and you go, man, I'm a person of faith, or I'd like to be a person of faith, but I just got a ton of questions... Oh, you know what? You're in good company. You're in really good company. Keep asking the questions. Rather, ask the questions from within the community of faith and within a congregation's perspective and within, within a circle of people who at least are saying, willing to say, we're willing to res- wrestle with these issues with you. And Nicodemus comes wrestling, and Jesus answers and validates those questions. What does Jesus say, verse 3? Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. He says basically the same thing in verse 5. I tell you, no one can enter. One time is see, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. So born again in chapter 3, verse 3, two births in chapter 5. Born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at me saying you must be born again. What does all that mean? Well, if, with, the, with, with the stuff that Matt is studying right now with like some Greek understanding, there's, a, there's some, some words here that refer to uh, being born here on earth and then being born from heaven. We all, if you're in the room here today, you are literally born of the earth. Hopefully through, a, through some, what I would say, hopefully loving act of a man and a woman somewhere along the line, Uh, you were brought into a place where you were born. You're here today because you've already had one birth. You've been born of the earth. My question I have for you is, you've been born of heaven yet. And you want to go, well, I don't get it. Well, I love the fact that still Nicodemus doesn't get it. Because what Jesus says is, you got to take a big faith step. In the midst of the questions, which are legitimate... Jesus says, take the big faith step. 
John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. That how do you get from being um, from one birth to a second birth? Belie- whoever believes in him shall not perish. Verse 17, God didn't send his Son into the world condemned to condemn the world. Verse 18, Who be- whoever believes in him is not condemned. What's the way in which you get from first birth to a second birth? How do you become born again? You take a big faith step and you go, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I like the fact that this, this passage gives us the option of saying no. You can say no. You can say, the, you know, I don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Fair enough. The, Jesus and, and, and the, the gospel writer here are saying, you've got a choice. You either are attracted to me or you're repulsed from me, but that's okay. You can either be born only on the earth or you can choose to take a big, big faith step and say, I believe this. I believe that Jesus is the son of the living God. I would ask you this. What decision have you made in that regard? Let me show it to you again. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Do you believe that Jesus is God's son? I mean, it's one thing to believe he's a great teacher. Fair enough, all right. But if he's only just a great teacher, then we've got a problem with that because Jesus claims to be God's son. And if that's not true, then he's lying to us. And what great teacher would lie to us? He's either God's son or he's a liar. And if he's a liar, I want nothing to do with him. Scripture says he's God's son, and I have this question, do you believe? Do you know that God went through a great deal of effort to bring you to this very room today for you to answer the question, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? A great deal was put into play to bring you to this room today. Let me see if I can explain it this way. During the winter, every morning, I eat oatmeal for breakfast, most mornings, you know, five out of seven days. And... um, I'll just tell you, there's a whole ton of people working for me to have oatmeal for breakfast every morning. Every morning, I take the biggest mug that I can find, you know, so it's a mug about this tall, and, and I, um, I put a couple spoonfuls of yellow or white raisins in the bottom. Then I get some oatmeal, some instant oatmeal, and I stick that in on top of that. Then I fill it up with, you know, with um, fat-free milk, and I stir it all up, and I put it in the microwave. And Leslie goes, that is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen, runny oatmeal. And, and when I, I was thinking about, even this morning, I was drinking my oatmeal. <laughs> and I'm thinking, it really is disgusting to think about what I'm, these little chunks going down my throat. The whole, you didn't want to know that, did you? So I drink the top of stuff at the top and then eat the stuff on the bottom of the spoon. But do you know there's a ton of people working for me to have that oatmeal every morning? Some months ago, maybe it was years ago, depending on how the systems work, some farmer came along in a tractor and planted cereal in the ground for me to have oatmeal. But before that farmer ever got in the tractor and let GPS wander that tractor all through the field, there was somebody that thought about what's it going to mean for us to make a tractor. 
And some, I suppose somebody in a John Deere factory somewhere or other sat down with a set of blueprints or with, a, with AutoCAD on a computer and they designed a, a, a tractor. And they said, what color are we gonna paint it? They don't even know, they didn't ask that question at all, did they? They were gonna paint it green. But before they got to do that, there was somebody that said, okay, if we build this tractor, we're gonna need an assembly line. So what's that assembly line gonna look like? So as they are engineering the tractor, they're engineering the assembly line, and then there's somebody in, the, in, the, in that department who is actually saying, okay, what are the robots we're gonna use? And, where's, and they're gonna weld all these, you know, automatically weld all these things on this tractor. And where are the welding rods coming from? Some tool and die cutters are there creating that, that factory line for that tractor to be made. And, that tractor is made of iron and other metals, and so to get that, where does that come from? Well, some country far away or somewhere or other, there's somebody with a, with a big mining truck made at Caterpillar. My, my breakfast is based on whether or not those trucks are made at Caterpillar down the road here, right? It's all got to work together. The farmers have got to do their job. The miners have got to do their job. Whoever makes rubber tires and all the things that go in the tires of that tractor, They've got to do their job. The diesel that's going to be in the tractor, it's going to be, you know, there's going to be wells out in the Gulf of Mexico, down a mile and a half into bedrock, and then it's got to be pumped up, and then it's got to be put in a tanker, and somebody's got to build that tanker made of iron ore again. It's got to get to Houston or Miami and put in ships, I mean, in, in trucks to the refineries and all that sort of stuff just so I can have breakfast. And that's before the thing, the, the, the cereal even begins to grow. There's a fertilizer plant somewhere making fertilizer. And then three or four months later after that, that cereal is planted, those seeds are planted, somebody comes along again with a different tractor and harvests all. Then it's got to go in a truck and it's got to go to a plant like ADM or Tate and Lyle. And then it's got to get to Kellogg's. And the Kellogg's has got to say, hey, this is how we're going to deal with this. And then it's all going to come down to somebody in a design studio saying, we're going to make the package look like this because we know Wayne Kent will buy it if it's this color package. <laughs> Seriously. And there's somebody there at a computer screen creating packaging that I'm supposed to like and they're going to design that cardboard box. Oh, cardboard. Then there's people felling trees out in the Northwest that are making paper products for me to have breakfast. All the, my point being, all those things have to come together and it's all got to look attractive enough and then there's got to be somebody on a shelf putting, putting stock on a shelf in a grocery store here in Decatur, Illinois with a price point that I'm willing to agree to. And all that was put into play so I would drink runny oatmeal for breakfast every morning. I have to buy it. You don't have to buy Jesus Christ. God gave you Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Have you received him? His generosity, all the things in history that, you know, we reverse engineered, if you will, that oatmeal that, I'm, that I ate this morning. Reverse engineer what happened for Jesus to be presented to you this morning. All the events of the history of the cosmos. This is an invitation. God 
when he's saying, I give you Jesus Christ. It's an invitation for you to participate in God's big story of evil versus good, of righteousness versus impurity, of giving and receiving versus some sort of bitterness inside. Which, which is more fun, to give or to receive? I think they're both fun. We have this, this, uh, we have the opportunity, we have this opportunity, Jesus, I mean, God gives and we receive and then we're supposed to reflect that. See, friends, I'm, I'm convinced that if we're going to be people of faith, if we're going to say that we believe Jesus is the son of God, then inherent within that is this understanding that we have to both receive and give. Because inherent within the story of personal Christian faith is the responsibility to reflect and to accept God's generosity. We receive, we give, we give, we receive. It's, it goes both ways. That's why, just frankly, if I could take a little sidestep to a commercial, that's why we were so intentional this year in saying if we're going to have this giving business in the life of the church, let's figure out a way in which we can do it all together in a way that makes sense, in a way that impacts people's lives. And so give 2013. You know, we're saying, okay, we've received much and there's this spirit of giving at the Christmas season particularly. How can we effectively use that? Well, let's send some kids to medical school in Kenya. Let's send some of our kids or some of our young people here to Bible school or to, um, to seminary, like Matt. Matt's one of the recipients of that scholarship that we're asking you to participate in, in the, throughout this season. I hope you're planning to do that. Because Christianity's generosity quotient, is what I call it, Christianity's generosity quotient is both giving and receiving. This morning... Do this. Are you not only giving, but are you receiving? And in some ways, when it comes to John 3.16, receiving is more important even than giving. God's already done the giving. And if you've got a thousand questions, bring them. I'd like to hear what they are because maybe they resonate with some of mine or maybe they, you can give me some questions that I haven't thought of yet. I do know this. The verse 8 says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. I'm quite aware of this, friends. That the wind of the Spirit is calling you to receive. Yeah, the wind of the Spirit is calling you to give. That's why we're doing this. But more importantly even than that, the wind of the Spirit is calling you to receive. I came in here this weekend, this past week. I went over to that piano and I just played for about 20 minutes, praying in this room as I played. God, will your spirit just blow over this congregation today? Remind us all again that you gave us Jesus Christ. And yeah, we come with you to you with a thousand different questions, but can you help us, oh Holy Spirit, to take the big faith step and declare that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God's Son. Can you believe that today? With your questions, can you still say in faith, I'll believe it? Because if he's not the Son of God, it's not worth us meeting. It's not worth us meeting for the sake of a good teacher who lied to us. Because that's what he did. So here's how we're going to do this. In your bulletin today, you'll notice there's a yellow strip. And you can today sign that strip 
and say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Just put your initials on it if you believe that. And as you leave worship today, put it in the manger. Let it be reflective of creating that bed of hay for the infant Christ child to rest upon. And together, we are creating a bed and individually, we're saying, we believe, we receive. It's party time. There's cake, if you will. There's the giving and the receiving of what God has given us. Can I pray for you today? Let's pray. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, the people in this room, they're my friends. Uh, Some, Lord, I don't know individually very well. Others, Lord, we've done life together. Lord, wherever anyone is in that spectrum, I pray, God, I pray that each of us would be reminded of the gift of Jesus Christ. May we be reminded that as we declare that Jesus is the Son of God, we are believing, O God, that he came as your gift to us. And we're choosing to receive that gift. We're choosing, O God, to ask for your forgiveness of our sins, to speak to our hearts and to enable us to do what Paul the Apostle says, to become new creations, to have our minds renewed, to be people of both earth and heaven. We want to give, Lord. It's the season for giving. It's great joy in that. But we also want to know the joy of receiving. Speak to us. Help us to create the place, O God, where the infant Jesus will rest. Not just allegorically in some manger in the lobby and anything like that. That's fine, God. But the place where he will rest in our souls, deep within our spirits. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.